This is not a podcast about religion. This is not a podcast about the five signs of Mark 16 or of handling snakes, drinking harmful substances, or any other acts of great faith. This is a podcast about songs, songs that have never taken their rightful place on the shelves of Americana. And perhaps that's because they are songs about the five signs of Mark 16, of handling snakes, drinking harmful substances, and other acts of great faith. This is the story of an ex-preacher and his podcasting friend who took every piece of musical equipment they could scrap together, visiting churches in Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I had a fan reach out to me the other day, and they told me that they have been playing my music on my Pandora station. And for some reason, whenever they play my music, this other contemporary Christian music, like they play on this radio station, is being sorted in there with my tunes. The Christian radio station? Good morning. I'm on a mission from God. It's called Your host with the most to boast, the Holy Ghost. Great to be in with you, spreading the love of the gospel on 103.7 FM. There was some kind of box that got clicked that has put me in the category with this contemporary Christian music, which is something that I detest. In fact, I would rather be in the category with Marilyn Manson. How about that? The beautiful beat the beautiful beat <laughs> Okay, so they put you in the contemporary Christian bracket. What's wrong with the contemporary Christian song? I had friends in high school, and they'd be like, hey, man, we're going to have a... I actually went. Do you know Methodist Church? Remember that one? Yeah. I played some basketball there, man. Yeah, well, I went to that same gymnasium when I was in high school because they were going to have a rock and roll show. During this time, Nirvana was huge. Pink hair, and it's a three-piece, and it's got a tall, lanky bass player, and I'm like, this looks like Nirvana. And then they just start playing, and it's just... It's horrible. I just turned around and walked out. I'd much rather see the real thing, you know? It's like the church mimicking something from without. Pop culture, it's just a mimic job, you know what I mean? Think about hymns, or think about the music of the serpent handlers. You can hear elements of rockabilly and maybe rock and roll from another time, but the drumming that you hear in those churches is like no other drumming I've ever heard. It's distinctly theirs. It comes from them. It's honest. It's authentic. They're not trying to sound like the Top 40 radio. This is not seeker-friendly church. Farrell sends Abe a nine-minute-long song, concert footage from a packed auditorium of people who are presumably Christian in faith, a song that sounds a lot like the instrumental music you hear playing behind me right now. To protect the writers and performers of this particular song, we've produced our own music. Just know, it was an excruciating experience for Abe to listen all the way through, as he conveyed to Farrell afterwards that it made him highly agitated and incredibly anxious. Farrell chose a song that has been the subject of discussion in recent years. For themes so spiritually charged, it nears sensuality, seemingly portraying divine love as fiercely jealous. Some language even suggests it's akin to amorous love. What's the harm in it? 
What's the harm in it? At least they're talking about God. If you were at a Motley Crue concert, they're not talking about God. They got pentagrams on the wall. At least. I mean, you might go to those things and you might feel like it's all fine and dandy, but uh, you go to a Motley Crue show and you don't have any delusions about it being divine. You know, you, you go to the Motley Crue show and you know that's not divine. What I felt was cool. I enjoyed it. It was a good time. That was not Jesus. <laughs> Which I will tell you that if we're talking about rock and roll, Motley Crue is kind of like the worst. <laughs> and whenever the exact same tricks are used in this contemporary Christian show, where they're using music in a way that is emotionally manipulative, then people leave there believing that it was somehow divine, the feeling that they had. And so the people that leave that contemporary Christian show then have to go back. If they put their experience to any kind of scrutiny, they have to, over time, deconstruct that experience and recognize that it was just emotional manipulation. It was music used in a way that creates tension in the verses, and then in the chorus it creates a release, and in that release and in that chorus they talk about all the ways in which God benefits you. And then you walk out and you think that that was somehow a divine experience. Well, the kid that went to the Motley Crue concert with pentagrams on the wall, he had the same experience and he walks out and he knows it wasn't divine. I mean, I went through the same thing, Farrell, you know. I mean, I, I went to an assortment of Sunday schools from the time I was a child. I went to church camp several times. I felt stuff, you know. I went through some type of emotional manipulation as well. You have to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself how? All that stuff just really kind of washes away with any type of scrutiny applied to it. You know what I mean? All right, here's a hard question for you. This is going to be tough, man. Why then, at the Serpent Handling Churches, have the organ blasts? Why have Cody Coots playing bass behind Andrew Hamblin? The music behind the preaching that is used to obviously help get that gospel across. Have you ever read the Psalms? Yeah. Think about how many times you heard praise the Lord with the cymbal and the stringed instruments and the harps and all this stuff. Are songs like the one we are listening to right now, not using strings and cymbals, are they not doing it exactly as the Psalms instructed? No. <laughs> and here's the reason why. The church is a thing, and if it means anything, why then it ought to have its own distinct art. Whenever you're telling me that the best a church can offer is a cheap imitation of what they heard on Top 40 Radio with what is plainly obvious emotional manipulation through melody and through lyrics, well, I mean, uh, it's just that's just not really a church that I have any desire to go to. You know, here's where faith matters, dude. Faith doesn't matter in an auditorium with 50,000 people in it. That's not where faith matters, because anybody can get up and jump around and you can feel whatever. You know, you can feel whatever in a crowd like that with music going. Who cares? You know, faith is real whenever it's hardest to exercise. It's the hardest thing in the world to exercise. That's the easiest place in the world to act like you have faith. There would be nothing easier to do in that service that, that you sent me, talking about how much God loves you. It'd be the easiest thing in the world to do is raise your hand and sway back and forth. 
You know why it's powerless. It's powerless because it ain't real. All that's powerless because it ain't real. That doesn't lead to substantive change. If it did, if it did, why the church would be at its most powerful point as it ever had been in the history of the human race. There's more people that claim his name than ever have been alive just due to simple percentage of population. Well, the population hasn't done nothing but grown. We can no longer blame the devil for our sin. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, dude, talk about a drag. Dude, I could go, I detest Marilyn Manson, but I would go to 10 Marilyn Manson shows before I went to one of those. <laughs> I'd watch him go up there and set the Bible on fire and all that and everybody. I'd rather, I'd rather do that. I would rather do that because at least when I left, I'd been like, yeah, that sucked. And people would get it. You know, you go to that other show and you say, yeah, that sucked, and then people call you the Antichrist. If I go to the Jesus Loves Me concert and I say that sucked, well then, you know, I get disowned by uh, what people call Christians today. Going these Serpent Handling churches is the first time in over a decade I felt like I belonged anywhere. When I go to Andrews, I feel like I belong there, man. When I go to Jimmy Morrow's, I feel like I belong there. When I'm hanging around Cody, he feels like my people. I don't believe everything that they believe, but I feel like they're honest. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Ever since Abe visited the home of Cody and Cassie Coots, a field recorder in hand to capture their generation's old songs, a friendship followed. For the past several months, Abe and Cody have been texting and calling each other on the regular about serpents, about Cody's father, and the incredible ripple effects from a chance encounter in 2006 that caused such a flurry of activities this decade and a half later in Abe. And perhaps more than anything else, in their conversations, they have been returning to the music, always commiserating about songs upon songs upon songs. At the request of Cody Coots, fourth-generation serpent handler and son of Jamie Coots, who Abe met on a chance encounter in 2006 in Middlesbrough, Farrell and Abe meet up in Birmingham, Alabama, transfer all of Farrell's recording equipment into Abe's van, and then take off north in an all-out charge from Middlesbrough, Kentucky. The goal? To make a professionally recorded, Nashville-produced, full instrumental Cody and Cassie Coots LP containing songs that have been sung for generations. Today's field recordings were captured at Free Pentecostal House of Prayer in Gray, Kentucky. Also, the Family Church of Cody and Cassie Coots, full gospel tabernacle in Jesus' name in Middlesbrough, Kentucky. A resulting full-length album was made, The Coots Duo. This is Alabama Astronaut, hosted by Farrell Gibbs.
You know, Cody, when Abe first approached you and told you that I wanted to do a podcast about you and this album, you were kind enough to send me a whole bunch of links on yourself, magazine articles, podcasts, and TV show clips. When I was going through all those, I uh, I clicked on that one that looked like it was maybe in conjunction with Snake Salvation. And by the way, I'm so busy, I haven't even yet seen Snake Salvation, but I watched that clip on and uh, I was just really, when I saw it, uh, and they did it like a week after your dad died. When I saw that clip, because I had known you now, we had recorded in the studio. Yeah. My reaction to that clip was amazement that you would have sent it to me in the first place, because I thought those people sounded really mean. It's been seven days since the star of Snake Salvation, Jamie Coots, was killed by a rattlesnake. But don't worry, we believe in miracles. He has come back again. No, not the preacher. The preacher's still dead. He died from a snake bite. The snake is back. You know, I sent you everything because I wanted you to just kind of know everything about everything, you know, whether it was good or bad. The things they said was pretty hurtful and pretty mean, but, you know, in the end, they could still be forgiven for it. I don't have a problem with it no more. So, you know, I just wanted you to get the full story on everything that way you can see the good parts and the bad parts. As every mile takes Farrell closer and closer to the churches he will attend that weekend, and inside them, a people unlike any he's ever met, an uneasy spirit swirls inside him. He's bombarded with concerns of all kinds, a worried wife back home in Texas, an uncertain future. He's currently unemployed. There's a pandemic that has filled every small hospital in the tiny towns they are visiting, and emergency rooms have limited beds. A scary thought traversing the winding, snowy roads near the Cumberland Gap. Intensive care units have filled up and availability has become a concern. News Channel 3's Roberta Hansen spoke with a Kentucky doctor who's been sounding the alarm. And all this as they speed through a country of highly agitated, riotous Americans. To add to everything, Farrell has never even seen a rattlesnake in his whole life, nor a copperhead. Not at the zoo, not in the wild, never at all. Although before the weekend ends, he will spend an entire day recording Abe Partridge and Cody Coots and Cassie Coots with a downright proper serpent named Old Lemonhead lounging nearby. The six-foot snake? Farrell's studio assistant and invited by Abe to be part of the album cover art. It is the biggest, thickest, most intimidating-looking timber rattler you'd ever hope to never, ever encounter in the wild. We were just headed up to church, and then I guess that one got canceled because of the snow, and then you're texting with Cody, and Cody's like, hey, I'm going to be at this other church over here. I had never met Cody, so you were like, all right, we're going to go over there. But you knew about this guy. I did not. But I don't think either of our expectations were high, right? The reason we went that night, Farrell, was because Cody was there. That's why we went there, and we we wanted to kind of see him before we went to do the recording session. That's the reason we went there. You take the off-road, and then you take the other off-road, and you go up a mountain road, and there's this bright white 
shiny, warm church with lights beaming from the inside. We don't know whether to walk in. I'm hoping Cody Coots gets there because I know he likes you. And I'm like, I at least got one friend at a serpent handling church in Gray, Kentucky. That was the only guy we knew in that whole church service that night, well, him and Cassie. When he found out we were coming to Andrews, he wrote me and said, hey, would you mind if I played your bass tonight, you know, to get used to it? I bought it up with me because I thought we might use it during the recording of the record. And I said, man, I'd be honored if you played my bass. And I think you had your bass too, did you? I did. We took both them basses out the van. We said, well, which one you want to use here? And he picked up that Fender Jaguar bass, mint green Jag. I knew Cody was a great bass player because I'd been looking at videos that he had online. And he took it up and played it in church that night. And it turned out to be one of the most incredible nights of my entire life. Cody told me about Andrew. Of course, I knew about Andrew. I'd already read the book about him. I'd already seen the TV show that he was on. You know, I was well familiar with him and his story. Before the studio recording on Monday, they were to attend Cody's grandfather's church service, Pastor Greg Coots, second-generation serpent handler, as well as guitarist, songwriter, and preacher. Pastor Coot's service was canceled, so Cody told Abe to join him at Free Pentecostal House of Prayer, where he would be playing bass that night for a preacher named Andrew Hamblin, at one time a young serpent-handling preacher bulleting toward the top of the serpent-handling world. The book Abe is referring to is called In the House of the Serpent Handler, A Story of Faith and Fleeting Fame in the Age of Social Media, by Julia Dean. It details an incident in which the rising minister was found guilty of reckless endangerment and did six months in prison. The night Abe and Farrell attended this man's church, as Abe said, going primarily to meet Cody, to get comfortable with him and his wife Cassie before the recording on Monday morning, Andrew referenced it in his breathless sermon. It took Farrell by surprise, who had not yet read about this chapter in Andrew's life. But Abe... As with all things serpent handling, knew the story very well. Can you tell I'm glad to see you? Sister Matthew, look over her. If you was in prison and you knew without a shadow of doubt you was guilty, huh? How many of you have been in jail? You don't count, huh? You swallowed them. How many of us have been in jail? Come on now. I stayed five months. 150 days. 150 days. I was a house man, and I ran the poker books. I sure did. Huh? I was a house man, and I ran the poker books. I sure did. I love sitting and play poker all day long. I got a nutty buddy bar. I like to eat. Huh? You can't just go buy something in jail. I've been there. So help me if they had come one day before it was up and opened that door and said, leave, I would have ran out that door. What would you do if you was in prison and you knew you were guilty? And they came by Ryan and opened the door and said, pardon. You're free. No probation. No questions asked. Cody, you're free. But but I'm guilty. But your record's expunged. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. What would you do? My God, you take off and run. Take running off out of what they were time was and running what they now are in 
Besides the previous reference you just heard coming from the preacher himself, a focal point of this particular sermon, the night Abe and Farrell visited, Pastor Andrew Hamblin of Free Pentecostal House of Prayer had once stood on the courthouse steps in Tennessee at the age of 20, and with the confidence and spokesmanship of a state governor, he petitioned before a large crowd and a host of television cameras on behalf of First Amendment rights. This was when the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency confiscated 53 of the church's snakes used for worship. I encourage everybody to come out and be with us and show more support. I thank God for the supporters that we've got. The Lord is really blessed with people out here from all different walks of life and denominations. I'm not asking for people to come out and say, yeah, I'm going to go handle a rattlesnake. I'm asking for people just to stand that we have a religious right in this country. This is about standing for freedom a right to be able to worship. We are in this country, the greatest country on earth, the United States of America. I've got veterans here that support me that fought for my right to be able to worship this way. I am a coherent adult. If God moves on me and I feel led through and by the Holy Ghost to reach my arm into a box of rattlesnakes, I should have my religious right to do that. It's just wonderful to have these people here to, to know that not only... And the grand jury subsequently declined to indict him. His 53 rattlesnakes, however, were not returned. They were frozen and utilized for student research. I was not aware that he was pastoring in Gray, Kentucky. That's not something that you can find on the internet very easily. Cody had told me probably about a month before that Andrew was pastoring and all that, but I honestly, after reading the book, I didn't really want to go. Uh, if I didn't have these brothers back here, they come from Alabama uh, to be with us tonight. We'll treat them to we'll Texas. Texas, I said Alabama. Uh, we'll treat them so many ways you have to like one. So we got to have I saw music performed in the most pure form that I've ever seen it. A community. It was like a communal music. It was music with all the shenanigans just boiled away. You know, you see what music must have been like when it was young. It just blew my mind. And I was just sitting back there, you know, like, man, that's my base. <laughs> it was kind of surreal, you know. I double dare somebody to come out of your pew and just raise your hand. And, you know, I'm just sitting there examining it, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to understand it, but I'm just baffled. I'm just baffled the whole time. I mean, Cody played the hell out of it, and then, all, you know, all these other guys, he just passed it. I mean, I guess there was five or six guys there that night that probably played the bass at one point or another. It's just another one of those moments, man. You look around, I'm like, man, my buddy from Texas is sitting beside me. We are in a church that I couldn't even point to if you gave me a map of East Kentucky. I had really no idea where we were at, you know? I just followed a GPS there, and we're in here and just experiencing the type of... It was like what I imagine it must have been like for a primitive man to walk out and see the northern lights, you know? You're just like, what? How dare you, sweet partner, raise your hand. How dare you, boys, raise your hand. How dare you, boys, raise your hand. 
So it's the first time you and Andrew have met. So there you are. You've got your hands tied and then you've got a lead rope. And when he ties the lead rope, he starts pulling you away from me and your recorder. And he says, now what's happening? And you're like, well, you're dragging me. Yeah. Or you're pulling <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now what? Now what's man? Thank you, the people listening, let them know what you're thinking. Let me say this. It might be different for me than it would be for other people because I was well familiar with this style of preaching. You know, the the confrontational walking around, staring people in the eye. I mean, I was guilty of the same back whenever I preached. You know, I'd make sure that when we had visitors, I'd do my best to make sure that uh, they heard the message. I can tell you many things about the Lord tonight. Up there, even here unto where you come, because Christ also suffered for us. I'm leaving us an example that we should follow, follow, follow his steps who did no sin. I also went to a church in Georgia for five years before I got married, and then me and my wife actually got married there, and we stayed there for a number of years before I took the church in Kentucky. But there was an older preacher there that was very animated, and he would walk down to you. He would take you by the hand. He would drag you around the church while he's preaching his message, and then he would let you go, and you'd walk back to your seat, and that was kind of like one of the things that he did. Oddly enough, it's not the first time somebody dragged me through a church. <laughs> and I'm sure there's not many people that could say that, you know? I wouldn't say it was like super frightening. I don't know. Listen back to the tape that night. I might have said it was scary back then. I don't remember it being all that frightening. I remember mostly just, uh, and this would be off record, but just, just, I didn't want to disappoint him. I thought he was going to take me to the altar and make him pray around me, and I was just, I'm not going to pretend. Why does that have to be off record, Abe? That's respectable. Why can't that be the reason? Everybody can respect that. All right, well, there you go. I done said it. <laughs> Whenever I was 15 years old, there was a girl that I thought was pretty in my high school, and she invited me to go with her to this Pentecostal revival meeting way out in the county. <laughs> this little tiny church and we go in there and this guy i mean i thought he was like a miracle worker or something you know well the guy preached you know in a way that i had really never seen anybody preach before and he was a hacker you know like we talked about back in the last episode and i mean i was mesmerized by the guy's preaching well then he started walking around and he started laying his hands on people on their heads and people were falling out and they were going into convulsions and stuff, like, almost like they were having seizures. And um, I'd come from the Baptist church and I'd never seen nobody do that before. You know, everybody stood up and they were allowing the guy to come by and I didn't want to feel like I was uh, not part of the crowd. So I just stood right up with him and he was coming down that pew that I was sitting on and there were all these young people and I was just one of them. 
I was fully expecting to fall out and go into convulsions, you know, and I, I thought, well, this is how it is. You know, this is God and God's going to make me pass out and go into these convulsions like everybody else is. And then he came up to me and uh, and he put his hand on my forehead and I didn't feel nothing. And I just uh, looked around and I was like, well, I guess uh, that was it. And then I just sat back down in my pew and I waited for everybody else to get up. How did you feel about that? Did you... Did you feel like God passed you up, or did you feel like it was maybe your fault that you were lacking in some way? I don't remember having that feeling. I just, uh, I just remember being like really disappointed, honestly. Also, I knew that people around me were disappointed as well that I didn't follow suit, and I, I'm sure they probably thought something was wrong with me, but. Uh, I was probably just as disappointed as they were, but in another way. And that night at Free Pentecostal House of Prayer, I didn't want to have that same feeling of disappointment with them or them with me, you know. That's fair enough. But you obviously feel something in your heart for Andrew Hamlin, for Cody Coots. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's love. I love them and I love the, uh, the honesty I love the faith. I love faith as opposed to just benefits. I love, obviously, the music. And all of it together speaks to me at a much deeper level than any type of just electric feeling. You know what I mean? I've gotten more out of that service than electric feeling would have ever gave me. Here's the thing, Farrell, I ain't holiness, buddy. You know, at some point, there's gonna be a diversion. And that's where it is for me, you know? But, but like I told you before, I'm willing, you know. If Andrew Hamlin touched me and I felt electricity run through me and I collapsed on the floor, I'd be okay with that. If that's really God and God chooses to make me shake all over the place, shake me, God. If God wants me to speak in tongues, you know, just send it to go and here it is. I'm not going to stop it from happening. But at the same time, it doesn't matter that I don't believe it because they believe it and they're honest. And if they'll allow me to be honest, you know, it's the same God. And I ain't never heard of preaching like I heard that night. That was all about sacrifice and all about love and the willingness, Jesus's willingness to lay his life down. I mean, that was, uh, it was profound. And that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was unreal. I mean, it was some of the best preaching I ever heard. And I believed it. The Spirit truly is ready. He goes back down to the garden. He gets down, begins to pray. God sends an angel out of heaven, begins to strengthen him while he's down there praying. I tell you, there is strength in prayer. Amen. Though I may disagree with these things here and there, I feel like they're faithful and there's an honesty and they're faithful to the point that I don't know that I would be faithful to that point. And so I'll, you know, I look up to them and, uh, you know, I look at like Jimmy and Cody and Andrew, they te- feel like they're my teachers really, I'm learning. And I may not be learning line upon line, precept upon precept Bible school. It may not be that, but I'm learning something about the importance of faith. And, um, you know, at this juncture in my life, that's really about all that's important to me. And we came out of there and Cody tried to give me the bass back. And I was like, no, I couldn't take that bass back, man. He had to have it. And, uh, 
that bass is now being played in serpent handling churches all up and down the Appalachians. <laughs> Abe arrived on a bright, cold morning at the Full Gospel Tabernacle in Jesus' name, a storied church, home to four generations of serpent handlers. It was established by songwriting serpent handler Tommy Coots back in 1973 and passed down to his son Gregory Coots, then to Tommy's grandson Jamie Coots, and a few years ago down to Cody himself, as you have heard earlier in the series. The church is clean and inviting, and surprisingly for a small building, it has incredibly warm acoustics, natural reverb rippling from the group's footsteps. As they enter the sanctuary, Farrell dives into setting up the day's isolation booths using six acoustic sound panels. Abe and Cody and Cassie chat for a bit before making their way to the front of the church, where so many interesting artifacts can be inspected. There are photographs of Jamie, Cody's dad, a bottle of oil used for anointing when services demand it, and of most urgent use for this small congregation gathered on studio day today, his great-grandfather's songbook, handwritten, spiral-bound, and visibly aged. The occasional appearance of a decades-old coffee stain blends into its time-worn sheets. There's no musical notation of any kind, just like the songs that Cody sends to Abe that he's been writing all year. No chord charting, no time signature, just melodies and tempos passed down orally, same as it's done with all songwriters in the serpent-handling faith. Cody is leafing through it, searching his mind, and reaching for the long-lost melodies. Today he will play and sing from this book, and whatever portions of these hymns might have melted away into the murk of time, Cody, with his guitar, his wife, and his newfound musician friends will wrench them back from the depths. So I was talking to Abe yesterday about how I was going to talk to y'all about the studio. He said, did you know Cassie almost didn't come to that recording studio for some reason? And I didn't know why. Why did you almost not come? Well, because I just, I don't know, I didn't feel like I was good enough. I, I just didn't feel like that I was important. Like, oh, Cody, you can go ahead. You know, you're the star. You're the important one. Plus, I had been up for like two days with the baby, and I was exhausted. <laughs> he was like, no, you need to come. And I was like, no, they want to hear you. You know, you're, you wrote more songs than me, and, and you're better than me. Just go ahead, and I'll just be a dead weight. Just go ahead. I was trying to talk myself out of it, really, is what I was doing. I mean, I, I love to sing, and I love music, but I have such a fear and anxiety about being in the spotlight that I just like, even in church, there's times that I really want to sing something, but then I don't because I get this anxiety about it because I know every eye's on me and every ear is listening just to me, and it, it just ter- it terrifies me sometimes. <laughs> I thought I would be nervous, but I was really just excited. I really felt like I was in my element, and I was surprised because usually I'm very uncomfortable and with things like that with no one I know that people are all just watching me and listening to me. But it was was really exciting for me. I was I was pumped. Yeah, I could tell. Uh, you knocked it out of the park. You always have your favorite songs when your album comes back. Give me a couple that you like a lot. I really enjoyed listening to me and Cody sing together. I really liked Jesus Made the World. I thought that one was just great. If I can get to where I can harmonize with you, but you're hard to harmonize with because you change. Like, you are... And I really like Endless Supply, which I was surprised because I wasn't sure because I'd never sang it before. That was me. Sorry. One more time, Cassie. I'm okay. sorry. You're fine. 
I think I got it now, though. I got the flow going. <laughs> Upon the mountain that followed the Lord for days Weak from their hunger, he would not send them away A little boy had some fishes and just a few small loaves of bread But how could so many with just so little be fed? He held it toward heaven Hands that had not yet been nailed They had watched him work wonders But surely this time he would fail But as he reached it to them They could see it down deep in his eyes They would always trust Jesus He had an endless supply He just kept giving and giving if anything in all of this, uh, if anything were to happen where you became kind of in demand where you went around and played your music or something, have you had any thoughts like that? I mean, I would be really excited, especially to meet new people, because I really like meeting new people. Listening to other people doing the same thing that we're doing, a dream for me would just be maybe inspire somebody else to, to do what they love, no matter what other people think or say. He just keeps giving and giving till our hunger is satisfied. We started with so little, oh, how the Lord molded Did you have a favorite moment that day? I, I don't really remember any any specific moment that stand out more than other. The whole thing was surreal. You know, when you set out to do something like this, you're always worried that the people you're going to be working with, like, you know, you think about a serpent handler, you don't think of somebody that's as genuinely kind and nice. Like, I mean, I, I just never imagined that, that they would be so easy to, to be friends with, you know? They were just super cool. I could be myself. I didn't have to, like, pretend I was something else. They were fine with me being like I was, and I'm fine with them being like they are, and it was just it was just great. You know, we had a great time. I feel like a friendship was born that day that I feel like will last forever, you know? What about you? You got a song that sticks out that you liked a lot, you liked playing on? Of course, Jesus Made the World is an amazing song, and I've heard that song sung whenever Cody wasn't there at several different churches already. On this day, like Abe said, the gang recorded a song called Jesus Made the World, one of the family songs that is four generations old. An interesting note, Abe claims it is still sung across the faith, even to this day. It was written by Cody's great-grandfather, Tommy Coots. In the spirit of John and Alan Lomax, we will play you a clip of Pastor Tommy Coots singing it himself, digitized off an ancient time-worn VHS tape. Now for a more recent rendition of the song. This is what Cody's dad, Jamie Coot, sounded like when he recorded himself singing it and playing his beautiful blonde 12-string Takamini. Now here's a clip of the song performed by Tommy's son, Gregory, who is Cody's grandfather. Hey, 
Finally, here is our version, as interpreted by the Coots duo, with Abe accompanying on guitar as the duo resolves to keep the family song alive and continue to keep the faith. Well, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came down. Well, Peter stood and told him, said, "'Tis a fire him." Well, spoken by the prophet, well, in the days of old, you must be filled with power to walk that street of gold. So several of the churches, they'll sing Jesus Made the World. Tom Coots wrote it, Cody's great-grandfather, and uh, that's awesome. And if you go to heaven, you must be born again, be baptized in his name for remission of your sin. Now that is you on guitar for almost every song, except for a couple. Cody asked you to play guitar so you could drive the boat, and then he could better concentrate on singing. That must have been pretty overwhelming to walk in and learn 17 songs and have to lay them all down the same day. Uh, when we were going there, I didn't know I was playing guitar. You know, I thought Cody was playing guitar. He said, no, I'd rather you play guitar and I'll just sing. I wasn't nervous or scared at all. I mean, I, I didn't know the songs. I had to learn them right on the spot. But, you know, I feel like God helped me do that. But, uh, I mean, I love them. I love them all, man. But, uh, I mean, Cassie Coots could sing the alphabet and I'd buy the tape of it. <laughs> just another one of those providential things. I mean, the first time I ever step in Billy Summerford's door, he's preaching on Dennis Covington. The first time I ever go into Coots Church, I hear it's all right with me, Lord, if it's all right with you. I mean, that was in June of 2020. And look at what that song did. It created this whole journey, <laughs> you know? I remember it like it was yesterday. Kathy Coots stood up on the front row of the Middlesbrough Church, back to the crowd. There are some things in this old world that I can't understand. Never even turned around, got that Blue Ridge guitar, the same one I played at her house, got up, her kids pulling on her dress, and she's singing, it's all right with me, Lord, if it's all right with you, for like 10 minutes. And I'm in the back, like being mesmerized by this thing, you know? I'll speak in tongues, heal the sick, and cast the devil out. I'll take up serpents, strengthen poison, dance and sing and shout. I believe Think about that weekend, dude. That weekend, I left my house, went to Billy Summerford's. Billy Summerford's preaching on Dennis Covington. Now, this was before a recorder was ever involved. Billy Summerford's preaching about Dennis Covington, and it was like iconoclast. I had been admiring his quest and his journey and looking up YouTube interviews on him and all that. You know, the very first time I walk in, there's that. Saturday night, I drive all the way to Middlesbrough, Kentucky. I go in there. I hear, it's all right with me, Lord, if it's all right with you for the first time. Cassie Coot singing it blows me away. Sunday... I go down to Jimmy Morrow's and guess who's there? The photographer. I mean, I see this whole thing transpiring with 
I witnessed oral history being created. Then I drive back home. And then I go get a recorder and then I drive back. I don't think it ever struck me as so significant until just now. Now, I asked everybody their favorites. Is anybody going to pick my favorite, Tangled Up in Jesus? Go crazy on this one. Oh, this is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. All right. I love Tangled Up in Jesus too, man. Yeah. You know, Farrell, right here, we need to mention that some of these songs exist outside of the serpent handling faith. Tangled Up in Jesus is a song that is sang outside of just the serpent handling churches. However, there are verses they have added to these songs that mention the fulfillment of the five signs they've wrote and incorporated into the song. You might hear this song somewhere else, but I promise you won't hear this verse. That's what I felt like in this microphone. Put some put some background on that, Cassie. Hey my friend, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Sean Byrne, producer, songwriter, instrumentalist, and mixing engineer, who, like Abe and Farrell, kept busy during the 2020 pandemic. Most recently, he won grand prize of the American Songwriter Lyric Contest. Sean is currently busy mixing the Coots duo record at his studio in Nashville. So what do you listen for when you hear something like what Abe brought to you, Cassie Coots, Cody Coots, the Coots duo? When it's there in the raw, when it's unmixed, what are you listening for to determine your general opinion of it as art? When I first heard their voices, I was like, this is as raw and real as it gets. These people aren't trying to impress anybody. They're just expressing themselves. It's very primal. Human beings have been making music since the beginning of time. And to me, it's kind of like that. And my understanding is Cody's grandfather played bluegrass music. That's right. So, you know, obviously he listened to a lot of bluegrass music, so you can hear that influence. It's just pure. It's just pure music, you know. As a producer, you know, I'm working with a lot of artists that are, you know, they're trying to fit in 
to a thing, you know, they're trying to get noticed by a record label or they're trying to get on the radio, you know. So you kind of have to point it somewhere, you know. It's kind of premeditated. But with what they're doing, it's a pure form of like tribal expression. And that is really a wonderful thing. And it's very rare. So when I was listening to this music, I was like, this is like a chance to sort of, you know, it's like almost like a field recording. This is like human beings making music in its purest form. It's really cool that you guys have sought this out. And these songs don't exist anywhere else. I was talking to Abe yesterday about you. He's told me a lot about you. Would you be willing to tell me about the way you met him? It's a cool story. My wife actually enrolled me in a songwriting competition. It was like a contest, you know, submit your songs. So I went down and played, and then I got accepted to the finals, which is where I met Abe. It was another date that we had to go down there in, uh, you know, Nashville. It was probably, it's a good drive. It's about an eight-hour drive. Guitar's just wood and wire until it's played. Prayers just print on paper till it's prayed And I was just a dreamer till you made my dreams come true and Love was just a word till I found you So I did my two songs and, and you know, and kind of was sitting in the, in the restaurant part of it listening to the other performers and then I saw this guy get on stage and get his guitar out and this place was full. I mean, there was probably 100 people in there, maybe 150. And the room went silent before he hit a note. All right, is it my turn now? <laughs> Abe, it is indeed your turn. Right. He was just up there getting, getting ready, and the room fell to a hush. And I said, whoa. I've never seen anybody who could hush a room without playing a note. <laughs> I was impressed right off the bat. I was like, who is this guy? And then he opened his mouth. He sat down with the guitar. He goes, hey, my name's Abe Partridge, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think he played uh, White Trash Lipstick. First up is a, a fellow that comes from the uh, cotton fields of uh, Alabama, grew up in uh, Mobile, play a song called White Trash Lipstick. Let's welcome him, Abe Partridge. <laughs> Well, I was headed up the country just a waste of no way, man. This city life's a downer. I could use a vacation. My truck broke down in some remote location. Now I'm falling in love. And I just uh, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this guy is all, like his voice is just like this ragged, just the kind of voice that I wish I had, you know, that real interesting, you know, layered and, and the song was, was funny and his delivery was so deadpan. You almost like don't know how to take it at first, you know, but Abe's awesome. He's so awesome at that. You came a strutting up to me, said, let me look under your hood and I could tell by your walk, you wasn't no good. You didn't move the way. That a young girl should, but I'm falling in love. He's just being Abe, you know? <laughs> so he did his two songs, and uh, I went up to him after, and I was like, man, you're awesome. He goes, oh, man, thanks. That's the first time I ever played in front of people. <laughs> you know? I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? He goes, no, man, most people think my music sucks. <laughs> he said. Baby, with that. 
and white trash lipstick It looks a mighty fine on you And oh baby I don't understand it But I think that I'm falling for you And that's alright If you ask me I'd much rather be a musician than a preacher. I'm with you on that 100%. Cause you're not responsible for the souls. When you're a preacher, you're responsible for everybody in that congregation. That if you say something or you hurt somebody, if they quit church and don't ever get back in because of something you said, you're required of that. You know, and that's that's a scary thing. You know, so I'm I'm happy with my life the way that it is. I'll leave the preaching to other people. It's called. Cody, what would happen if you? got an opportunity with some of your songwriting and you were able to do something with it, go out in the world with it. What would you, what would you want to do? Well, I've been traveling this heavenly highway. Sometimes my path gets hard. I've been down in the valley, but I'm a climbing up my Lord. I got a few more miles, just a few more miles. Just a few more miles, my Lord, to go. Uh, I dream pretty big. So <laughs> Me too, man. I would like to be able to go to benefit singings for people who need to raise money and sing the songs that God gave us. I, t- I told Abraham, and my wife thinks this is hilarious. I said, one day I'd like to go to London, England, and stand up on a stage and sing the songs of the gospel to these people and not charge them a dime. You know, because, uh, you know, I don't want to make money off of this. You know, God gave me these songs, and I'm not looking to make money off of them. Well, people, they talk about me. It makes me sad, all the things that they say. Oh, but it won't matter to me anymore if I can make it through the pearly gates. I got a few more miles, just a few more miles, just a few more miles my lord to go well people they talk about me talk about me all that you please oh but if you hear me calling your name i better be down on my knees i got a few more miles just a few more miles just a few more miles, my lord, to go. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Thank you for listening to Alabama Astronaut. Make sure to visit the website and immerse yourself in the generation's old songs at alabamaastronaut.com. There you will see videos of the Coots playing alongside Abe in the ISO booths, photographs from that day, and the time-worn pages of Tommy Coots' songbook, and even a picture of their studio companion, Old Lemonhead. The Coots' duo album is being produced in Nashville by today's guest, Sean Byrne. Sean has added excellent instrumentation, mandolin, upright bass, musical saws, and even more guitar, as well as live-produced Abe adding banjo. We want to thank Sean for his meticulous work and are also thankful he's such a good friend to this production. Above all, we want to thank Cody and Cassie Coots for giving us their all, for playing and singing so sweetly, and for letting us into their faith, their feelings, and their hearts. Nicely done, you two. 
Music today by all of us Alabama astronauts. A symphony of sounds as led by our conductor, Mr. Abe Partridge. Be sure to tune in next week. The fellows find a new friend who might be willing to accompany them on their journey. A friend from the most unlikely of places, New York City. You won't believe the twists and turns to come. Jesus, your kingdom must this episode is dedicated to the wonderfully talented pianist, Jacob Hall. Abe loves you, buddy, and talks about you all the time. Godspeed, friend. Now we hope you enjoyed this single by the Coots duo, It's All Right With Me, Lord, If It's All Right With You. A song written by Tommy Coots. There are some things in this old world that I can't understand. But there's one thing I surely know I'm guided by his hand I'll do the signs of Mark 16 just like he told me to And it's alright with me, Lord, if it's alright with you I'll speak in tongues, heal the sick and cast the devil out I'll take up serpents, strength and poison, dance and sing and shout I believe in the word of Jesus Christ just like he told me to And it's alright with me, Lord, if it's alright with you They call me a Jesus only and turn their backs on me But I believe in one God only, that's all that I can read I've been baptized in Jesus' name just like you told me to. And it's alright with me, Lord, if it's alright with you. I'll speak in tongues, heal the sick, and cast the devil out. I'll take up serpents, drink the poison, dance and sing and shout. I believe in the word of Jesus Christ just like you told me to. It's alright with me, Lord, if it's alright with you. See y'all next week.